0: Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property. And a lot's been happening in the world of real estate in the last week, and it's not just about fuel prices or uh, Ukraine uh, there is still a large number of things happening to do with property and I thought I'd bring to you some of those stories that are in the media. The latest Real Estate Institute of New Zealand monthly statistics are out that show for February the the figures and it shows that the median house price now in Palmerston North is 700,000 and that's compared to 675,000 this time a year ago. The number of sales are down considerably and uh, there is a lot of properties on the market for sale I was watching on the news uh, last night that um, property sale volumes are down across the country and that's partly due to the changes that the government has brought in with regards to lending and make it quite difficult indeed for people to be able to uh, lend money In terms of our region, it's still over the last 12 months, and I'm just leafing through my paperwork here. I think that the Manutu-Wanganui region has gone up 12.8%. So still good growth there, but uh, it's pretty clear to see from the statistics that things have slowed down somewhat indeed. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how long things remain this way, and uh, we'll just see how that goes. So in news, I was uh, having a look on uh, News Talk ZB had an article saying that figures show that Kainga Ora is owed nearly nine million dollars in unpaid rent. So the government's being asked to be stricter on its state housing tenants. When Labor came to power in two thousand seventeen, Kainga Ora households owed nearly $750,000, but figures that the newsroom gained under the Official Information Act show it soared to nearly $9 million last year. And Nationals Housing spokesperson Nicola Willis told Mike Hosking that no evictions policy is just letting people get away with it. There are more than 25,000 New Zealanders on the waiting list desperate for a state house Why do they have any less right to a home than the people who won't pay rent? So that's something that surprised me. It's a difficult one because the uh, mandate for public housing is to try and make sure that everybody has somewhere to live. But it's quite incredible that there's that amount of uh, rent not being paid. Here's an article here from... That's called uh, Another Housing Boom? Question mark. New Zealand real estate agent warns prices could climb as Kiwis return home. So Lodge Real Estate Managing Director Jeremy O'Rourke says New Zealand is experiencing an artificially suppressed housing market. He predicts that it bo- as borders reopen, house prices alongside demand could reignite as those locked out through managed isolation restrictions return looking for somewhere to live. He says that as our borders reopen, the tensions and intentions increase between Russia and Ukraine, New Zealanders will be looking to return to safety. Citizens and residents will travel back to New Zealand to reconnect with family, and they'll all need somewhere to live. So different people have different views on this. And Tony Alexander, the economist, has suggested actually that people heading uh, out of New Zealand will balance the people coming in. However, once the borders reopen, there are 5,000 international students, for example, um, who are looking at heading into this area. So we're a bit all over the place with the news today in terms of topics, but uh, this one, Christopher Luxon, uh, the leader of the National Party, won't say if tax, tax cuts will be staggered or if landlords should cut rents after being given tax cuts. So he has a plan to introduce a tax package when in government saying only that only he would implement the cuts in the package in the party's first turn. Debate has swirled around the cost of National's tax plan, which could lift the tax thresholds, effectively giving every income taxpayer in New Zealand a tax cut. The party costed the policy at $1.7 billion. So what they intend to do, they intend to repeal the 39 Tax bracket and allow landlords to deduct interest costs from their taxes, and this is something which has made a, a change in the previously in the appeal of buying rental properties. So the the other things I look at doing is changing some of the uh, cha- uh, or re- repealing some of the changes that Labor has done that have really affected. The investors and the investor market, and uh, those are the things um, uh, like the the ten year bright line test. That means that you have to pay uh, interest. Uh, sorry, big You have to pay tax on your profits within ten years of owing a rental property, uh, and a, a couple of other ones as well. So uh, they're try- going to try and unwind some of the things the Labor government has done, and this would add some appeal to, with regards uh, particularly to the landlords and investors in the country, and there are a lot of them. And speaking of landlords or investors, uh, the rental increases in the market uh, around the country have really looked to making certain areas really good for investors. The one in particular is Gisborne, which is now the best-performing location for property investors because it's the only region where rental yields actually increased late last year. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's latest Capital Gains and Rental Yields report, which covered the second half of last year, showed Gisborne had the highest annual increase in rental prices and the only increase in rental yields. So rental yield is the measure of rental income a property generates against its purchase price. Uh, So what it does is the report looks at the yield by calculating annualised median rent compared to the region's median price. So in the six months in December, Gisborne's rents were up 24.7% on the same period in 2020, uh, while its median price was up 27.8%, around $642,000 in the same time. Uh Manotu Wanganui actually had the highest capital gain during that time, with our, our house prices up thirty point five percent to six hundred and twenty, and we had the third highest increase in rents at fifteen point eight per cent. That means the yields in this area are three point seven percent. So with rents increasing by fifteen point eight percent, that is considerable. That's sixteen dollars for every hundred dollars previously the tenants were paying. Uh, if you paying uh five hundred dollars a week then you're adding um close to or well, must be just a quick bit of maths in my head about eighty dollars a week. So really really considerable changes there just based on supply and demand. So that was in the capital gains and rental yield report which is available. Um, and can, and um, that's available online through the Real Estate Institute website and you can look at other areas too to see which ones are most favourable. Also the range of rents around the com- country has changed a bit and the most expensive rents in the country are North Shore of Auckland with an average of $642 per week. And Invercargill is the cheapest in the country at $373 per week. So uh, around these, I haven't got stats for the average rent in of and, this, and These are um, rents for newly tenanted properties over the last year, and on average they've gone up $43 per week, uh, as I mentioned quite a bit more in this region. And it'll be interesting to see at what rate the rents continue to increase. So although the housing sales market has changed a bit, uh, the rental market normally continues the way it has been going for a while before making an adjustment. So just in one year, it's gone up 16.8% here, which on the average weekly rent of $487 uh, is actually $70 per week. So really significant for tenants. Uh, if you think of, imagine um, $70 per week coming out of the household budget, more than what has been, that's uh, quite a struggle indeed. In other news around uh, property management, you might be aware that the government is trying to regulate the property management industry. This is something which there are submissions going into the government at the moment, and I've written one in myself as well, just around my thoughts there. The proposal by the government is the property management industry, which looks after 40% of rental properties Residential rental properties in the country should be regulated to ensure that there is quality and that the right people are doing the right job and doing it well. In an unregulated industry, there's no need for things like education or auditing or a good character test, background checks on people working in the industry and so forth. So... This article in the paper is is talking about Peter Thompson, who's a managing director of real estate agency Barfoot and Thompson. And he is in support of property management regulation, as most um, companies are. And he says that he supports in principle the plan the government announced earlier this month to regulate the residential property management sector. The larger real estate companies involved in property management already operate under a self-imposed regulatory regimes. And although many other property management companies are unlicensed, there is quite some variation in the quality that you get. And he says that anyone can set up business as a property manager with limited or no experience. And... One probable reason why this area of real estate has been left unregulated for so long is that many landlords are, in effect, their own property managers. Now, I was doing a a little bit of research which shows that in terms of the numbers of landlords, uh, this legislation will cover less than 20% of the number of landlords in the country, which is really sad. So they're missing uh, regulating the other 80%. So they're suggesting just people working in property management are regulated and uh, not people who maybe just own one property or two and are looking after things themselves. So I think a, a better system uh, would be to have, say, two tiers of requirements for property property or landlords, really. Um, you'd have two types. One would be property managers who are uh, licensed and qualified and adhere to very strict standards etc and then you might have um, landlords with just looking after one to three properties and uh, those people still require some educational standards uh, maybe something like the equivalent of a a learner license for driving um, learning the uh, laws and rules um, as this would or should increase the Uh, quality of of the relationships between landlords and tenants. Um, At the moment, uh, a lot of people that I talk to um, who are landlords just do not have a good working knowledge of tenancy law, and they can really get themselves into trouble and incur large fines for breaking the rules. So that's something which uh, is ahead. So my submission was suggesting a two-tiered system, Uh, um, and a body which um, regulates that and can hold people accountable uh, for fines um, and for their actions um, in in a range of ways, probably larger fines for companies and smaller ones for individuals. And that's something that we'll see what the government decides to do then. But like I say, if they regulate just the property managers, they've missed 80% of uh, landlords, And many of the cases that I bring to you on this show around landlords um, are uh, private landlords who are just looking after one or two properties um, and just not following the rules. And speaking of not following the rules, here's an article which says landlord fined for a sinking home with cracks in the walls and unclosable windows. So there's a Nelson landlord called Annabelle Black who's been in the news quite a lot um, and she still owes the Ministry of Business Innovation and Employment $12,000 for 22 breaches of the Residential Tenancies Act and was fined $290 by the Tenancy Tribunal this month for failing to keep reasonable repair. However, a property report by a building inspection firm, Westwind Projects. Submitted by the tenant implied this judgment was the tip of the iceberg. The house was sinking, the report said, as evidenced by cracks in walls, windows that do not close, and an uneven concrete floor. Slumping prevented doors and windows from closing properly, and high levels of damp were found in the home, the report said. The home is actually just a stone's throw, from another property that earned Black another fine in November. and this property, the ruling reported holes in the walls and a puzzle used to fix a window. Black, who owned both properties, sold them in September. And the current ruling acknowledges problems similar to those seen in other homes Black owned or managed. So a classic example of someone just doing a terrible job um, and whether they have a lack of knowledge or just don't care, these sorts of landlords should be held to account. So the ruling said that they heard from the tenant of health issues experienced both by herself and the child and her child that she believed were the result of the unhealthy home. And numerous problems were outlined in the property inspector's report. The tenant had not raised them with black, the tribunal's adjudicator said. The tenant advised she did not tell the landlord because typically such notifications triggered an adverse reaction from the landlord and the tenant preferred to avoid such an event. And we've talked about the imbalance um, or perceived imbalance between tenants and landlords in the country and this is something that regulation would also uh, help to Uh, manage if landlords are held accountable for bad behaviour. So they can be held to account through tenancy tribunal for uh, breaches of tenancy law, but it would be better if there were also um, the ways that they could be held to account just simply through being a bad landlord. And that's what regulation would help to take care of. So so that lady was uh, based in Nelson um, and the Nelson MP Rachel Boyack visited the property and says that she was appalled that by having viewed the property, I can't understand um, how the Nelson City Council thought that the property was um, okay. But uh, the Nelson City Council had decided that the threshold for a building being deemed dangerous or insanitary is high. So this MP went and had a look and said it had mould, there's damp everywhere, and she would not let her dog sleep in there. Uh, Boyak, the MP, said that Black was not competent to be a property manager. Uh, and despite rulings against her, we're not seeing a behaviour change. So it's really quite incredible. And these people should not be managing properties. Um, and that's that's all there is to it. Under a regime change, if everybody had to have this minimal educational requirement, plus there were fines for bad behaviour, um, that might might change some behaviour. This is a pretty extreme uh, situation, though, and um, for this uh, lady, about 10 different tenants had contacted Boyack, the MP, and Nelson about black in the last couple of years, and every single one had been serious. They follow the same patterns of properties being substandard, work not being done, and the tenant accused of creating the problems, and that tenants are very fearful of her. So she's just really an example of uh, why the industry needs to be regulated. Other landlord-related news, and this from St- uh, Stuff, Jared and Cannes, it says, More landlords face making a loss on rentals as interest rates rise, Deloitte says. So sharp interest rate increases combined with the phase-out of mortgage interest deductibility are likely to leave more rentals losing money as landlords find rent payments no longer cover expenses and tax bills. And this is based on an analysis by Deloitte. So Deloitte partner Robin Walker says that if the home loan rates hit 5%, which is what experts predict will happen within a couple of years, it will not take long for a typical rental to see the small profit made from rent to disappear, and for it to start running at a loss. A separate analysis by property management company Velocity shows, uh, sorry, property data company Velocity shows recent investors could find their tax bills more than two thousand seven hundred dollars higher this year compared to identical investors who bought pre the rule change. So the insights from Deloitte and Velocity start to fill a gap left by the government and Inland Revenue about what effect the phase-out of mortgage deductibility will have on investors. So as of this year, the amount of home loan interest can be claimed as an expense on rental properties. Reducing the tax bill to be paid will drop by 25% per year. None of the interest will be a deductible expense for investment properties bought on or after March of 27th of last year, but new builds are exempt for 20 years. So remember, the government's trying to take the focus away from landlords buying existing properties that they would rather, probably, first home buyers have um, the opportunity to buy and have made it so that building new homes is actually easier uh, and more appealing for landlords. So we've seen in my line of work in the last couple of years. Um, a lot of investors buying property in the Manawatu. And these are investment buyers uh, buying off plans or brand brand new properties that have just been built. So it just helps get around uh, some of those changes that the government has brought in. And properties in this region have been uh, pretty pretty popular for people who live in areas where it's more expensive to buy new builds. Um, Auckland and Wellington, for example. So people want to get those uh, tax benefits um, while uh, also getting, getting a, a modern and new home. And in some areas that's just simply too expensive. You may also be aware in the news lately that there has been, and on the show, um, the law changes that came around consumer financing and credit where the intention was to that lenders, particularly unscrupulous lenders, should do considerable background checks on people wanting to borrow money. So by lenders, I mean... Uh, loan loan shark type people, um, so that they are only lending to people where those people have a pretty good chance of paying things back. And you're probably aware that this was put across the whole uh, lending industry. So it included what they call second-tier lenders, uh, finance companies, and the major banks. And this had a major effect in the lending, um, and that's contributed to sales of properties being down considerably. Uh, I think it's over 30% in in the country. So just uh, overnight, uh, people who used to be able to borrow the money to buy houses um, were unable to do so. And so there are changes coming up. Um, The Commerce Minister has promised to change the lending laws, but Nationals are saying that the tweaks they're talking about are not enough. So this really close scrutiny was really to protect the vulnerable lenders. But mortgage advisers and opposition politicians have claimed that they had unintended consequences and prompted banks and other lenders to become ultra-conservative, declining loans that they would have previously made. People reported being turned down for things like spending too much on a dog. John Bolton, who's the chief executive of mortgage-broking company Squirrel, who led the campaign to get Clark to make the changes to his new laws and regulations, said they have listened, they have heard, they have made appropriate changes without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Now, the changes won't happen until June, after a consultation with lenders and consumer advocates, and the New Zealand Bankers Association says the tweaks Clark is proposing to do does not go far enough. So Roger Beaumont, the NZBA chief executive, said, We think they've identified some main points for consumers, but it's not clear the changes announced today will move the dial enough to make a difference. Clark said the plan changes to new lending laws clarified that when borrowers provided a detailed breakdown of future living expenses, there was no need for lenders to inquire into current, inspection and current expenses from recent transactions. So people have been having to provide three months' worth of transactions, and if there are things, um, it doesn't allow for the fact that they might not make all those transactions if they've decided to take up a home loan and buy a home, which is what can happen. Uh, People live quite a good lifestyle, um, and and then when when they have the mortgage and the responsibilities there, they maybe trim that lifestyle a bit, and it didn't take that sort of thing into account. And... Other things that would have uh, affected it was that if you were putting um, too much money into KiwiSaver and not leaving enough in the family budget, that would have a negative effect. So, um, because the uh, lenders would just continue, that that contribution level um, would, or they would expect that it would just continue. So, whereas people in reality might change that and have some money uh, that was going to KiwiSaver regularly going then into the mortgage repayments. So we're going to see uh, quite what those changes are. I'm just trying to find some details here to give those to you, but it's been a bit uh, tricky to do so. One would hope that it's something where it's less... Um, well, the main change, of, of course, is not looking at the previous three months, but that's not not much really. Uh, there's certain areas like the um, banking industry, for example, uh, where they're very strict on lending anyway. And so that, they've always been strict on lending and extremely conservative. So you'd think that banks would really be um, be exempt, uh, given that uh, they already have checks and measures in place. Uh, finally, just in property news, and this one from interest.co.nz, uh, QV that... Uh, Quotable Value: The house price index suggests a long-awaited fall in property values is underway. And this was actually on the news last night that I was watching, uh, that Auckland um, is coming back a little bit in its prices. So the, this article says that the much-anticipated decline in residential property values appears to have started in February, according to latest data from quotable value. Now the house price index is the average value of all homes throughout New Zealand and that declined to just over uh, $1 million at the end of February um, and down about $13,000 from the end of January. So that's just in one month and that's a fall of $10,000, although it does say um, the average dwelling values in a number of areas, and Palmerston North is included, have actually um, continued to Rise. So, um, in fact, uh, sorry, rising uh, nationally. I just want to uh, correct that one, actually. Palmerston North has dropped slightly, it says in this article, um, and the average dwelling declined by $22,000 in February. And that's probably just something to do with the lending ability and the very small number of sales, which skews the figures. So that shouldn't shouldn't continue to drop. We'll see what happens uh, next next month here. But effectively, the house price index said that the uh, the average Palmer's North was seven seventy five, and that's come back to seven fifty three, a change of twenty one thousand dollars. So that was actually the most uh, the largest change in the country. But I'd say that that's more of a statistical anomaly, and we'll see uh, where things are when we get more statistics to hand, and I'll bring you those here. So that's all we've actually got time for this week on property matters and thank you so much for having a listen and it's great to be here on MTR.nz. you can also find this where all good podcasts are found i would like to wish you a wonderful week and look forward to catching up with you next week thanks for listening support this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.